Um, it was the day after, the morning after my brother Derek had passed. Um, I was resisting the need to get out of bed um, as I was just still kind of taking in the, the deep sorrow and shock of my brother's passing. Um, that the Holy Spirit um, spoke a couple words into my mind as I was laying there in bed. Um, and I've learned that when the Holy Spirit starts talking to your mind, um, you should listen. Um, and he, he said, Psalm 107. Um, and so I grabbed my phone from my nightstand and with blurry vision, I found my Bible audio app and I just began to listen to Psalm 107. And it was there as I was listening to Psalm 107 that it became very obvious why the Spirit of God was kindly leading me to that scripture in my sorrow. Um, I heard some words that morning that I've been meditating on and being affected by over and over and over again in these past two and a half weeks. Um, that psalm says not once, not twice, not three times, but four times. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And it was as if the Lord was saying to my deeply grieving and troubled heart, Ian, you've been crying. But now it's time to cry to me. And from that moment forward, my prayers have been very hard to discern cries to the Lord. And in the midst of crying to him, um, he's been faithful to comfort and care for my troubled and sorrowful heart. So I believe um, that rather than kind of just give you an update and try to preach a sermon this morning, <laughs> I thought the best way for me to encourage you by way of update and also exhort you through the scriptures this morning is to invite you into how this particular psalm and those particular words have helped and served my troubled heart over these last several weeks. And, and I do this for two reasons, because I want you to know how God has been fulfilling his promises in my life. But I'm also aware of something else that's very true. You have troubles. Right now. You are experiencing troubles. And although the degree to which we experience troubles varies in their effect upon our souls, um, but nonetheless, right now, there's probably stuff going on in your life that's troubling there are probably sorrows that you're experiencing that are hard to handle. There are probably problems that you have where you have no foreseeable solution. Um, there may be experiences that you're having in relationships, whether it be in your family or with friends, that seem like there's no end in sight to how they'll be resolved. And you're troubled. And you're troubled. And if not, if you're not experiencing trouble this morning, then you will, like you have before. 
because it was Jesus who said in John 16, 33, in this world, you will have trouble. So when those troubles come, what should we do? When expected troubles come, what should we do? When self-inflicted troubles come, what should we do? When troubles surprise us and come out of nowhere, what should we do? Well, according to Psalm 107, when troubles come, regardless of their source, regardless of their cause, we need to cry to the Lord in our troubles. He cares, he's in control, and he can deliver. And so let me direct your attention now to Psalm 107 as we hear from God's word this morning. I was actually trying to discern whether or not I should read the entire psalm. It's, it's a long one. But when Drew read all Psalm 145 last week, I'm like, all right, if he did it, I can do it too. Um, Psalm 107. Uh, Let us hear the word of God. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. And gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached the city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways. And because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds and songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to the heaven, then they went to down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, 
and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. And they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water and parched land into springs of water. And there he lets the hungry dwell and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. That is God's word. May he add his blessing to its reading by the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. The heart and soul of this psalm are the four hypothetical predicaments that represent various reasons God's people find themselves in trouble and distress. Each of these four sections opens with the word some. Some people experience trouble because of this, and some people experience trouble because of that, and some people experience trouble because of this, and on and on it goes four times. First, for some, trouble comes when they are wandering and unsettled in life. That's verses 4 through 9. Second, for some, trouble comes when they are guilty of sin and rebelling against the will of God. That's verses 10 through 16. Third, for some, trouble comes when, when they're making self-destructive choices in life. That's verses 17 through 22. And then fourth, for some, trouble comes when they're just living life, doing their business, and unexpectedly difficulty arises. That's verses 23 through 32. Some experience trouble because of their wandering. Some experience trouble because of their rebellion. Some experience trouble because of their self-inflicted life decisions. And some experience trouble for no reason other than they were doing life in a broken and cursed world. Look at these four categories a little more closely and, and see if you can identify with any of them and see if any of the trouble you may be experiencing maps onto them at this moment. Look at the trouble of the unsettled in verses 4 through 9. Some wandered. They had no city to dwell in. And because of that, they're hungry and they're thirsty and they're exhausted. To not have a city is to not have a home and to not have a home is, is to have no guarantee of provision and protection and a, and a group of people to identify with who will support you in community. The word wander here can refer to either leaving the right path or just simply not having clarity or direction. 
This is the trouble experienced by those who are directionless or careerless or jobless or homeless or purposeless. It's the runaway. It's the castaway. It's the marginalized. It's, it's the refugee. It's the lonely. It's, it's the estranged. It's the person who has no place, no people, no clear purpose. Those folks experience trouble because of an unsettled life. Look at the trouble of the rebellious in verses 10 through 16. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. Why are they in irons? Why are they in bondage? Verse 11, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. They were in trouble because they didn't listen to God. They did things their way. They, they Frank sinatra it. <laughs> I'll have it my way, not God's way. And their way, what did it do? It brought them a whole lot of trouble. Bondage and affliction, pain and suffering, loss of freedom. So for the unbeliever, this is the bondage of being under the wrath of God. This is the bondage of being separated from God. It's a deserved punishment, and it lasts forever for all who refuse to repent and put their faith and trust in Christ. So when you reject God completely, you invite trouble now and forever. But I don't believe that's the, 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 the immediate context of Psalm 107. This was a psalm that was sung by the people of God. This is likely talking about another kind of prison, another kind of bondage. This is the kind of bondage that was experienced by the people of God when they had rebelled against his word and found themselves either in the north in bondage to the Assyrians or in the south in bondage to the Babylonians. They were, they were carried off in chains. They, they lost their freedom to worship. They, they lost their freedom to be the children of God. They were in a, a literal and spiritual cell of shame and guilt being disciplined for not listening to God. This was the condition of God's people for not listening to God's word, for thinking they knew better than God because they were doing what was right in their own eyes, because they were rejecting the clear revealed will of God, they were experiencing trouble. So when we think we know better and we don't listen to God's word about all this stuff <laughs> God's word talks about. When we don't listen to what God's word says about life in general, when we don't listen to what God's word says about spirituality specifically, when we don't listen to God's word about what it says about the way life works according to his plan, and we can just go down the line, what God's word says about sex and sexuality, marriage and parenting, forgiveness and bitterness, money and possessions, commitment to the church and mission, self-denial and sacrifice. I mean, all these different components to life, all the various relationships to life, God has given us clear revelation on how it's all supposed to work. But when we reject his word, when we reject his will for the way life should work, we invite trouble, sorrow, Look at the trouble of the self-destructive in verses 17 through 22. Some were fools through their sinful ways, verse 17. And because of their iniquities, suffered affliction. 
They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Fools in the Bible are not simply people who are obnoxious. Biblically, a fool is one who's gone off in the de- onto, into the deep end of self-absorbed, self-indulgent, self-destructive living. Rejected the way of God and have chosen to make life work on their own. And here we're told that this self-destructive lifestyle has resulted in sickness and being on the brink of death. Not all sickness is the direct result of specific acts of sin, but here in this section, these are. This sickness, this close-to-death experience, this not even being able to eat food and to do what's necessary to thrive, all of this is the result of self-destructive behavior. These are people who've ruined themselves. This is the trouble. This trouble is self-inflicted. This is the drug addict with hepatitis. This is the alcoholic with liver disease. This is the glutton with diabetes. This is the sexually promiscuous with an STD. This is the chain smoker with lung cancer. I mean, it could also be the porn addict who's about to kill his marriage or the workaholic who's blown out her adrenal glands. I mean, the list could go on and on. Self-inflicted trouble. And look at the final category, the trouble of the unsuspecting sufferers, verse 24. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. These are people who are just going to work. Going about their daily lives, doing their business. Nothing wrong with this. In fact, as they're going to work, they're they're, they're, they're worshiping. They're going to work and, and they're, they're seeing the deeds of the Lord. They're seeing God in the workplace. They're looking out in the sea and going, wow, God is really great. Here we are. We get to work. Let's catch some fish or whatever they're doing on the sea. They're just going to work. And while they're at work, they experience a violent, life-threatening storm that brings them to a place where they all think they're about to die. Their courage melted away, verse 26. They reeled and staggered like drunken men, verse 26, meaning they were very capable at their job, but at this moment things were so overwhelming that that they couldn't even hold it together. And finally they were at their wit's end. They had absolutely nothing that they could do to fix the situation. Everything they did was not enough. What's this scenario point us to? It points us to the fact that sometimes trouble comes out of nowhere. You're just going about what seems like a normal day and then you're hit with trouble. You stare brokenness straight in the face. And it changes your life. Tuesday, July 7th, seemed like an ordinary day for me. I put in a serious good day of work, had a a meeting with another pastor, 
was working on a project for the church, went to, went to Produce Junction to pick up some flowers for Piper because she was flying back from visiting family in the West. And as we were sitting down to eat some dinner, my dad calls. And he lets me know that my brother Derek had a heart attack. And the ambulance came and was able to stabilize him. And then they took him to the hospital and he had another heart attack. And he died. Out of nowhere. Unexpected sorrow. Seemed like an ordinary day. And then suddenly, our family was looking straight into the face of trouble. Sometimes trouble comes out of nowhere. It's when you least expect it, when you're not inviting it, when you're not particularly doing anything that warrants it, trouble comes. And so when trouble comes, like that, or any of the other ways the psalm suggests, what should we do? Here's one thing that's crystal clear in this psalm. Regardless of where the trouble comes from, regardless if it's self-inflicted or not, regardless if you're responsible for it or it's just happening to you, regardless of where the trouble comes comes from, there, the, 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 what we must do in our trouble is always the same. We cry to the Lord. The unsettled cry to the Lord in verse 6. The rebellious cry to the Lord in verse 13. The self-destructive cry to the Lord in verse 19. And the unsuspecting sufferers cry to the Lord in verse 28. You won't be surprised that as I was meditating on the psalm over the last several weeks, I found a, a sweet companion in the comments of one of my favorite pastors and preachers, Charles Spurgeon. Um, and in his comments on the psalm, he talks about why we cry. Nothing else remained for them to do. They could not help themselves or find help in others, and therefore, they cried to God. Some men will never pray till they are half-starved, and for their best interests, it's far better for them to be empty and faint than to be full and stout-hearted. If hunger brings us to our knees, it is more useful than feasting. If thirst drives us to the fountain, it is better than the deepest draughts of worldly joy. If fainting leads us to crying, it is better than the strength of the mighty. Why do we cry? What else can we do? Trouble brings us to our knees. Trouble truly humbles us. Trouble reminds us what's always true even when we're not looking trouble in the face. 
we are helpless and hopeless and strengthless without Christ. At different times, for various reasons, sometimes trouble finds us, sometimes we find trouble, sometimes we invite it, sometimes we deserve it, sometimes we don't. Regardless of the reason, trouble comes, and when trouble comes, it brings us to our knees, and all we can do is cry. You're my only hope. So when trouble comes, what should we do? All that we can do, cry to the Lord. But, but notice why now. When trouble comes, we cry, but, but why do we cry? Well, there's at least three reasons here in this psalm. Because the Lord cares his steadfast love endures forever. He is committed to his people to the end. He cares. This song ultimately is about testifying to the steadfast love of the Lord. He always comes through. Whether you deserve it or not, this is grace. We cry to him even if trouble is our own fault. And we should expect him to listen to our cries because he cares even when we don't deserve it. He cares. So we cry to him because he cares. We, we cry to him because he can deliver. The psalm not only says they cried to the Lord in their trouble four times, it also says four times, and he delivered them from their distress. We cry to the Lord in our trouble because he cares and because he can do something about it. Look, he cares for the wanderer and provides them with the stability of a home in verse 7. He cares for the rebel and breaks their prison chains and sets them free in verse 14. He cares for the self-destructive and, and heals their affliction and rescues them from death in verse 20. He cares for the unsuspecting sufferers and calms the storm in verse 29. He cares and he can do something. That's why we cry to him. Our cries are not therapeutic. Our cries are significant because even if we don't have five words to be able to muscle together into a sentence in our prayers, it is simply our cry of desperation that reaches and pierces into the throne room of God and Christ who is over all. He cares and he can and so we should cry to him. This psalm calls us to cry to Christ in our troubles because Christ cares and because Christ can stabilize the unself, the unsettled, forgive the guilty, heal the broken, and calm the chaos. Christ cares. Christ can. And finally, we cried him because Christ Christ is in control. Look at verse 33. As this psalm comes to a close, the psalmist wants to make one thing clear that whether there's trouble or not, the Lord who's over all is in control. Verse 33, there are times when he turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into a thirsty ground, 
But then there are also times, verse 35, where he turns a desert into pools of water and a parched land into springs of water. What's the point? Sometimes the Lord allows trouble for his wise redemptive purposes, and sometimes the Lord reveals trouble, relieves trouble for his wise and redemptive purposes. And if you need a real-life story that, that, that shows you what that looks like, read the book of Job. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Job says to his wife, should we receive from the Lord only good and not evil? So here's the point. As this psalm comes to a close, the Lord is in control of your trouble. You may feel like your trouble means things are out of control. You may be out of control. I may be out of control. But Christ is still on his throne. And he is sovereign over every season of trouble. And he is sovereign over every season of renewal. When troubles come, we cry to Christ. He cares. He can. And he's in control. Verse 43 ends with a challenge. If you are wise, you will attend to these things. If you are wise, you will attend to these things and consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Uh, Attend to what? Attend the reality, trouble will come. Trouble will come. Christ summarizes the, the teaching of this psalm in one sentence, or maybe two. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In this life, you'll have trouble. It comes from all different places for all different reasons. But Christ says, take heart. I care. I can. I'm in control. The wise will hear this psalm and consider, where am I experiencing trouble right now? What should I do about it? Cry to Christ. He cares. He can. And he's in control. So what's your trouble right now? Where do you feel helpless and hopeless? What can you do? Cry to the Lord in your trouble. There's one refrain that's also repeated four times in the psalm. It's not just, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. It's not just, and he delivered them out of all their distress. There's another refrain that's repeated over and over and over again four times. Verse 8, verse 15, verse 21, and verse 31. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of of man. Be grateful. Why? Because of the steadfast love of the Lord. Our time does not permit to go into the deep end of the steadfast love. This is that Hebrew word, chesed. God's loyal covenant commitment 
to his people. Thank God that when you experience trouble, he will not walk out on you. He will not let you face it alone. He will not leave you to pick up the broken pieces, even if things are broken and it's your fault. Even if you lose someone who's so near and dear to you, someone that you have a hard time thinking about living without, and they're not there anymore. Christ says, I'm there. I'll never leave you. You'll never be without me. And this is not just the vain overture of a narcissist who thinks they're God's gift to you. No, this is God who is the greatest gift to you. I made you. I sustain you. I left heaven and came to earth to save you. I sent my spirit to seal you and I'll come back and get you and where I am, you'll be forever. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. So, this is my preachimony. These truths have been unbelievably comforting to me. They have been stabilizing my soul like spiritual steroids <laughs> over the last two and a half weeks. The Lord is saying, Ian, be grateful. You're experiencing trouble. But I care. I can. I'm in control. And so I'm going to keep crying out to him. And I encourage you to do the same wherever you find trouble. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your Holy Spirit that spoke into my heart on that Wednesday morning and told me to go to this psalm. Psalm 107 wasn't a part of my normal Bible reading plan. It wasn't what was next. But it was what I needed to hear from you to be sustained in my sorrow. And so thank you. Thank you for loving me for caring for me in my trouble. And now because of my, my place in our family here at Covenant, you've given me the opportunity to, to share that with my brothers and sisters. Undoubtedly, they are well acquainted with trouble as well. They know heartache. They know what it feels like to be crushed in spirit. They, they know what it's like to be at their wit's end. They know what it's like to not know what's coming and when the hard thing will ever end. I pray that these words from your word 
that has been ringing true in my heart since the loss of my brother would also ring true in their hearts today. Help us, if we're not already used to it, help us to get used to crying out to you in our trouble. Because in this world we will have trouble. But Christ, you care. Christ, you can deliver. And Christ, you're in control. And we trust you and your steadfast love. In Christ, we know that you care and you can and you are in control and you don't simply say these things to us as one who doesn't get it. For you yourself are a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. As you prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, you said, my soul is troubled even to the point of death. Before you died, you felt like you were dying and you willingly did that for us. Thank you, Jesus. You understand our hurts. You know our trouble because you are one who experienced trouble yourself. And you show us that on the other side of trouble is the hope of resurrection as you rose from the dead and now reign triumphantly over all things. And so would you help us now to take all these things to heart and process them and respond to them in faith and repentance. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.